Good morning, Kettlebrook family. Let's see. All right. So if you're visiting with us this morning, welcome. My name is Dan Kelm. I'm the site pastor for our Kiwaskum location of Kettlebrook Church. And uh, after the gathering, we always have a time of hanging out in the front cafeteria where we have coffee and treats. And so I invite you uh, to stick around and, and join us for that. So Christmas Eve is just a week away. You feel ready? Ready or not, <laughs> it's coming. And don't you hate uh, kind of when it feels like that? That it's, that it's just like, it, it's just this busy Christmas season, right? That, uh, that it can wear you out. I feel worn out. I think when people are asking me how I, how I was this morning, I was like, I'm tired. <laughs> I'm really tired. So I want to I wanna start off with kind of a brief survey, maybe a show of hands. So who is maybe would say that this Christmas season, um, and, or maybe even generally Christmas seasons, that you tend to feel fairly burdened? So anybody raise a hand, be honest. Okay, okay. So I know I do often. Uh, and have you ever had one of those years where you were just so busy that you didn't even have a chance to put up your Christmas lights? Have you heard, I've, I've been there. Okay, or how about, has anybody been so busy that you just haven't had, like you didn't put up your Christmas tree? Okay, so, you know, but then when you do finally get your lights up, they kind of look like this here, right? And then, uh, and then when you do finally get your tree up, it, it looks like this. Let's see the other one, Steph. There you go. <laughs> so, right? It, it's interesting to me because with other holidays, it, you, you never hear somebody say, just like, wow, this is just such a busy Easter season, right? <laughs> you, never, you never hear anybody say, man, this 4th of July weekend is just wearing me out this year. Why is it? Like, what is it about Christmas that gets us so tired, so busy? And, and I think the, the real question is, uh, what is it that gets us so burdened and overwhelmed? And to be burdened is to be weighed down, to uh, and, and just to have this weight upon us. And I think that's the way a lot of people feel around Christmas. And, and whether that's feeling emotionally burdened or physically burdened or schedulely burdened or spiritually burdened, we're worn out, we're tired, we're overwhelmed. And so where does this, where does this burden or feeling of burden come from? And what do we do about it? And well, for us this Christmas season at Kettlebrook, what we've been doing is we have been going through a series called The Cradle, The Cross, and The Crown. And like we do every week, we're focusing our eyes on Jesus Christ. And, and the first Christmas that, that ever was celebrated uh, was the day that Jesus was born and laid in a lowly manger uh, that doubled for a cradle. But in that cradle was Emmanuel, God with us who came to change everything. Yet Jesus also came as a man to represent mankind. And on the cross, he took all of God's wrath, all of God's anger and hatred towards sin, all the punishment that we deserved for our disobedience. And Jesus bore that upon himself. But the gospel of Jesus Christ is not just about his coming into the world as a baby or, or about his teachings, interac- interactions. It's not just about his crucifixion. The height of the gospel of, Je- of Jesus Christ is about Jesus' resurrection. It's the centerpiece of Christianity, and it's the proof, and it's the victory. 
Jesus was victorious over sin and death, and it proves something about Jesus, that Jesus Christ always has been and always will be king. And from his birth, the Magi, wise men from the east, came asking, where is he who is born king of the Jews? From before the world was made even, Jesus Christ has worn the crown and been victorious. At the end of all things, when we look at the book of Revelation, what do we see? Jesus is crowned victorious as king. And as king, we have victory in him. And this morning, if you hear anything at all from me, what I want you to hear is that victory is only found in King Jesus. And I'm going to say that again. Let's, Stephanie, if you could put that up on the screen. Victory is only found in King Jesus. And well, it's been uh, the first, it's been the book of First John that we've been in for this series and uh, that we've been looking at to see the impact of the cradle, the cross, and the crown. And so if you do have a Bible with you, I do encourage you to open up to 1 John, 1 John chapter 5 today. And if you have a red Bible, that's on page 864. And if you'd like a red Bible, just wave boldly at Marilyn. She'd love to bring a Bible and a smile. And so, and if you do not have a Bible, we would love for you to keep one of ours because being in God's word is one of the most important things we can do in our lives. And so as you turn there, 1 John is a letter that's written by the Apostle John. Uh, who was a young man during Jesus' ministry. And later in his life, John wrote the fourth and final gospel, uh, an account of Jesus' life and ministry. And we call that the Gospel of John. And John also wrote three letters to churches uh, that were probably in the region of Asia Minor, uh, which are the books of 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John. And then finally, John also wrote the book of Revelation, which is his account of seeing the end times in Jesus' final victory. And I want to take a moment just to pray before we jump into 1 John together. So please pray with me. Father, I know that I do not have the capacity to even hint toward the greatness, the true greatness of Jesus Christ as King. And so I pray, uh, Lord, that your Holy Spirit would lead all of us, me included, um, to, to see in your word uh, to, to receive from you an understanding of what it means for Jesus Christ to be king and what his victory means in our lives and what it can mean as we understand it more and as we lean into it and as we embrace it. And so, Father, I ask this morning that you would open up your word to us. Uh, let us see more and more who you are uh, and especially who you are through your son, Jesus Christ. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, let's take a look then at 1 John chapter uh, 5. And I want to do something a little different this morning. It's, it's a simple exercise called dwelling in the word. And as I read, I'd like for you to follow along and listen. And I actually have text of it that will have up on the screen. Um, and and I, what I want you to do as you're listening is I want, after we're done, I want to take a minute or you know, just about a minute or so, for you to kind of think and reflect on what stood out to you about this passage. What is, what is God, the Holy Spirit, leading to stand out to you as, this is, as, this is, as you're going through this? And then what questions does this text leave you with? And then what I want to do after that is I'm going to have Sharice uh, read through the same passage again, but in a different version. 
And again, after we're done, I'd like you to take a minute, um, after you've kind of followed along and listened, uh, to, to just look at that text and see what stood out to you and what questions might God be putting on your heart. Uh, does that make sense? So what stood out to you? What questions does it leave you with? So first I'm going to read through uh, in the NIV version, which is what we have in the Red Bibles. And then, Stephanie, if you could throw that up on the screen. Um, and so let's, let's take a moment to read through that. First John chapter 5. Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God. And everyone who loves the Father loves his child as well. This is how we know that we love the children of God, by loving God and carrying out his commands. This is love for God, to obey his commands. And his commands are not burdensome, for everyone born of God overcomes the world. This is the victory that has overcome the world even, our faith. Who is it that overcomes the world? Only he who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. Let's take a moment to see what stood out to you and what questions you have. Okay, and let's let's hear that again in a, in a different version. Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ is God's child. And whoever loves the Father also loves the Father's children. This is how we know we love God's children, when we love God and obey his commands. Loving God means obeying his commands. And God's commands are not too hard for us, because everyone who is a child of God conquers the world. And this is the victory that conquers the world, our faith. So the one who conquers the world is the person who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. there's a lot going on here in this passage and what's interesting to me is that it kind of fits in a circle now i was really hoping that the the powerpoint was going to work but it didn't translate so it was supposed to appear in a circle so if we start clockwise really what this passage is showing us that it starts with faith and belief in jesus and what that leads us to is love love of god and love of others which then if we're loving God and loving others, that's really fully demonstrated in obedience, obedience to God's commands. And that's able to be lived out because of rebirth as a child of God, which then gives us the ability to, to be overcoming the world, which ultimately leads to victory over the world's power, which comes from faith and belief in Jesus. And so... It begins with belief and faith in Jesus, and it ends with belief and faith in Jesus. And, and we see in the Gospels that on, on two separate occasions, John heard God's voice from heaven saying, this is my son about Jesus. And, and it was once at Jesus' baptism and once at Jesus' transfiguration on the mountaintop. And John saw Jesus' glory, and he knew without a doubt, he, he believed and had faith that Jesus was the Christ the Messiah, Savior, and the Son of God. And like John said in the first chapter that we looked at a couple weeks ago, he said it's it's their testimony, John's and the apostles' testimony, that leads us also to believe. And then belief leads to love. Uh, And then if, if we believe in him, 
we'll love him and we'll love others. And loving God and loving others can't be separated. John repeats that over and over. Uh, and he says if we aren't loving God, it's not only, you know, if we're not loving others, not only are we not loving God, it's almost like we don't even know him. Actually, last week, Friday, um, I got home late from what was a, a super, super busy week. Uh, I had spoken to the MOPS group in the morning, which are the mothers of preschoolers, and then I had spoken to the youth leaders uh, for our youth ministry in the evening, and the previous night I had been up till 2 a.m., and then that morning I got up at 6 a.m., all because I was preparing for those things. And then when I finally got home on Friday night, I was, I was beyond exhausted. It was like, I think, 8 p.m., and um, I just wanted, I just wanted more than anything, just to just to crash, just to be done. And um, as I was pulling into my driveway, uh, I saw my neighbor Chris outside, and I just knew, <laughs> I just knew he was going to ask me for something. And in my heart, I was like, oh, <laughs> like I knew he was going to ask for help. And I was like, I don't want to. <laughs> And and what you need to understand about my neighbor, Chris, is that uh, he's a Malaysian immigrant, uh, and he's very hard to understand, but it's not just, he's not just hard to understand what he's saying, it's hard to understand, like, what he's even getting at half the time, and he has no, no concept of time, especially yours, um, and, and I don't think he has a clue what my name is, because he calls me Pastor. <laughs> And so I sat in my car for a moment, contemplating just closing the garage, sneaking out of my car, slipping into the house. I didn't. And so as I was, you know, walking out to my mailbox, sure enough, Chris is like, "Hey, Pastor, do you have uh, do you have anything to pump up a flat tire?" I was like, oh, here it is. And so to kind of make a, a long story short, I, I popped in my garage and, and, I, and I pulled out my, my big compressor and, and dragged that over to his house. And uh, or I popped into the streets at first. I was like, hey, honey, I'm, I'm going to be another 10 to 15 minutes. Um, and then I helped Chris pump up his completely flat tire. Uh, and then as we were finishing, he just went back in his house and didn't come back out. And so I was like, all right. <laughs> I, don't, I don't even remember if he had said thank you. So I finished up. I packed up my compressor. I put it back in my garage. And I was like, oh, well, whatever. And then a couple days later, earlier this week, uh, we got a ring at our doorbell, or on our doorbell. Um, and it was like after 8 p.m. And I was like, on earth is ringing my doorbell after 8 p.m. I've got little children in the house. Thankfully, they're all night owls, so they're wide awake. But it was Chris. Pastor, do you have any original paint from when our houses were built? I'm like, oh my goodness gracious. Good evening, Chris. Hi. And I didn't. I didn't have any of the original paint. And so I just, I told him that. Um, and I was like, well, you, you know, you probably could check with Mark or Josh, our nearest two neighbors. And then, and, and this is the whole reason I'm telling the story, he said, well, I don't know them like I know you. I don't want to just show up like a stranger to their house. And we invited Chris in, and, and Sharice and I talked to him for like 10 minutes about things in his life and his daughter and, and some worries he has about his daughter right now, and, and he's even tearing up as he spoke 
Loving our neighbors who are made in God's image, no matter how challenging they may be, is a requirement of knowing God's love for us. But we love because God loved us first. Uh, And he loved us when we were pretty challenging and definitely undeserving. And loving God and loving our neighbors then leads to obedience to God's commands, that we actually follow and carry out the teachings of Jesus. And John tells us that obeying God's commands is not burdensome. And he's repeating what Jesus himself said in Matthew 11. Jesus said, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Actually, Steph, can you throw that up? Do you have the next slide for it? There you go. So take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. So first of all, when when Jesus says yoke, he's not talking about this. Um, He's talking about this. There we go. And he's saying his workload, the work of his kingdom isn't burdensome. And that's what John is also saying. It's when we carry other loads aside from God's commands or instead of them that we become overburdened. And when we're yoking ourselves to something else, life ends up feeling and sometimes uh, looking a little bit like this here. (laughs) (laughs) And, And if you're feeling like that, You're not alone. See, (laughs) others have been in the same place. (laughs) But going back now to our our other slide, uh, we understand that obedience isn't overbearing or burdensome because when who we are is transformed, when we've experienced rebirth, well, as a child of God, and, and when we're reborn into the likeness of Jesus Christ, everything is is different within us. It's as though it's, in, it's through Jesus that we have the opportunity to become children of God and, and to be reborn into his family. And to be born again requires death. Dying to self and dying to the world. In Matthew's gospel, Jesus said, if anybody wants to come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross, which means die, and follow me. And in Mark's gospel, Mark adds that it needs to be done daily. We need to daily die to ourselves and to the world. And John tells us that as children of God who've died to the world and its systems and its power, we overcome the world. We're not overwhelmed by it, but we overcome it. Dying to self, obeying God's commands, following Jesus isn't necessarily easy. Uh, and, and, And we're not promised that it won't be difficult. In fact, at the end of John's gospel, uh, this is what John tells us that Jesus said, in this world you will have trouble. But take heart. I have overcome the world. And then going back to the last one, so what we see is, you know, when we understand is John saw, John saw the glorified and transfigured Jesus on the mountaintop. He saw the resurrected Jesus in the upper room and on the beach and beyond. In Revelation, John saw Jesus as the rider on a white horse wearing many crowns with a robe that was dipped in blood that said, King of kings and Lord of lords. 
And he was riding out to a victory that had already been won. So John knew without a doubt that Jesus was victorious over sin and death and that he had overcome the world. And that John knew that our overcoming of the world, our victory over the world's power, is only found in the victory of King Jesus, which we take part in, in belief, in faith, in him. It's full circle. Okay, like we started with, here's, here's the tension. Why is it then, especially around Christmas, when we, as believers in Jesus Christ, are supposed to be celebrating the victory of Jesus, that often we aren't experiencing his victory in our lives, but rather that we're feeling burdened and overwhelmed. And, and this question, actually, as I was thinking about it, reminded me of, of something that I'm reading that's very tied to Christmas for me. Uh, when I was about in, in fifth grade or so, my mom gave me for Christmas uh, C.S. Lewis's book series, The Chronicles of Narnia. Um, and, um, and, and usually uh, every couple of years, uh, often around Christmas time, I'll, I'll try to read through them, and I'm actually reading through them right now. And if you haven't read them, the, the series is about these children that make their way into another world and another country called Narnia. Uh, and, and really the key figure throughout it all is this huge lion named Aslan, who is the son, he's the true king of, he's the true king of Narnia, and he's the son of the emperor. And I definitely enjoy fiction, but C.S. Lewis wasn't just a fiction writer, he was a professor and a theologian, and, and his fiction is filled with references and imagery of following Christ. And that's actually the real reason I like it. And in that first book, The, the Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, there's this witch who's, who set herself up as the false queen, and that's put all of Narnia under an eternal winter. Winter, but never Christmas. And I used to think uh, that, that was, I don't know, I used to think that was just kind of a silly idea that, that C.S. Lewis put in there just to kind of make kids that were reading this bummed about a winter that never had Christmas. Um, but every time I, I reread these books, I always find something new. So I, I see something that Lewis specifically was trying to do that I hadn't seen before. And I had never put it together before. It's not just a silly idea, winter without Christmas. Lewis was trying to teach us something about Christmas. When King Jesus, the true king, came into our world at the first Christmas, the spell began to break. The false king, Satan, his power and hold over humanity was broken. Jesus was victorious, and in Jesus' victory, we have victory. And victory is only found in King Jesus. And our passage said following Jesus isn't burdensome and, and that we aren't overwhelmed by the world, but we overcome the world. And so if victory is only found in King Jesus, but we're feeling burdened and overwhelmed, I think we need to ask ourselves something. Might it be because we're chasing after a false king that we're crowning something else as king in our lives because a false king will leave you burdened and overwhelmed. In the Old Testament, we see that Israel, uh, during, during the prophet Samuel's time, cried out for a king. They wanted a king. And the, and, and the Hebrew people came to Samuel and demanded 
that they would have a king rule over them. And Samuel tried to talk them out of it because he knew that God himself was supposed to be their king. But the people insisted on it. And so God said, okay, but give them this message. A king is going to take your sons and force them to be conscripted in armies and into hard labor and onto fields for working. A king will take your daughters, your servants, your vineyards, your fields, your animals, your money, even you yourselves will become slaves. And the people said, give us a king. And so they crowned King Saul, who did everything that God said and who left them feeling burdened and overwhelmed. Victory is only found in King Jesus. So when we crown anything or anyone other than Jesus as king, we're going to be left feeling burdened and overwhelmed. And from our passage in 1 John, I think we can see at least three false kings that we sometimes crown above Jesus in our lives. And I wanted to kind of just quickly take a look at these. And so these three false kings are people, pleasure, and possessions. Verse 1 says... Jesus is the Christ, the Messiah, the Savior King. The opposite of this is to make a relationship with someone else king in our lives. We give the crown, the power, the role of Savior to someone else. In my talk to the Mops group last week, uh, I mentioned how sometimes it's maybe our children or a child, or it could be our, our, your spouse, You might not think, oh, I'm literally putting this person before Jesus, but does their safety, their agenda, or their schedule, their well-being or success come before anything else? Have you made compromises to your walk with Jesus, pulled away from the family of God, disconnected from actively being a part of bringing the Jesus, King Jesus' kingdom because of maybe a family member or a spouse or a boyfriend or girlfriend, or anyone. People can become a false king that we crown over King Jesus. Verse 2 says that we're to love the children of God. Well, the opposite of this is to love ourselves. And in that, we crown ourselves king. Everything becomes about our time, our affirmation, our pleasure. And this is one I struggle with. Uh, and I feel the tension to crown myself king. Uh, I, I like to be entertained. I like to sit and watch TV after a hard day, to be served, to gluttonously eat too much, to spend too much time reading articles on my phone, to waste time scrolling on, on social media. But Jesus' kingdom is about dying to ourselves daily. So does our life, does your life, look more like a denial of self or is it focused on the pleasure of self? Because pleasure can become a false king that we crown over King Jesus. And then in verse 4, it says we overcome the world. And the opposite of this, obviously, is being overcome by the world. In our world of constant and bombarding advertisements, we often allow the things of this world to become king uh, in our lives and we yield the crown of kingship over to possessions and stuff. Especially at Christmas, the madness of Black Friday and Cyber Monday and Christmas sales and shopping for presents, it all takes over. 
And, and the spell of the false king says, we need more, more stuff. And our passage tells us to believe in Jesus as the hope to overcome the world, but instead, you know, the belief that so many people have is that if they just get the new TV, the new phone, uh, the, the latest whatever it is, that they'll be happy, that, that their lives will be full of joy, that they'll be able to overcome the difficulty of this world. Possessions can become a false king that we crown over King Jesus. But all of these false kings, people, possessions, pleasure, leave us empty. And most specifically, they leave us burdened and overwhelmed and without victory. And John tells us that victory is only found in King Jesus. And one more time, John has to repeat it one more time. And he says that he shares the testimony with us that we need to hear, that we need to understand, that we need to believe. And this is what he says in verses 11 and 12 of chapter 5. And this is the testimony. God has given us eternal life, and this life is in his Son. He who has the Son, the true King, has life. He who does not have the Son of God does not have life. Victory is only found in King Jesus. This is the testimony that we've heard. This is the testimony that we need to be sharing because victorious life, unburdened and overcoming, is only found in King Jesus. Let's pray together. Father, I ask and I pray that you would continue to open up our hearts, each of us, um, more and more to understand the kingship of Jesus. That you would lead us more and more into understanding what it means that if we call Jesus Lord, we are calling him king. If we're saying we're going to follow you, Jesus, that means we need to obey Jesus. And Father, I ask that you would help our hearts understand more and more what it means that as the f- members of, of the family of God, that because of through what Jesus has done for us, we also get to be a part of, of this royal family, not because of what we have done, but because of what Jesus has done. Totally undeserved. But yet we, we sometimes, I think, so often want to crown other things in our lives, especially and often when we're, when we're trying to follow Jesus. And I think, Lord, that is why we feel burdened and overwhelmed. And so, Father, I ask that the words of your scripture would speak to us. That as we look to John uh, as in what he said about who you are, that your commands don't leave us burdened and that you give us victory to overcome the world. Father, I ask that you would help us also see the things that are standing in the way. Father, you would work within us. Your Holy Spirit would work within us to poke and to prod, to speak, to point out, to help us notice what things in our lives uh, are standing in the way of you being king, of Jesus Christ being king over our lives so that we could more fully experience who Jesus is, but more than that, so that when we fully experience who Jesus is, that we would bring Jesus' kingdom into our greater Kiwaskum area. Because that is what I know, we know, your mission for us as your church is, that the kingdom would come here in this place, that lives would be changed. 
And so we ask that that would be done, that your will would be done here in our greater Kewaskum area. And we pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.